We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From the March 2021 Atlantic article entitled Stories of Slavery from Those Who Survived It, quote, they were the words of all but forgotten individuals who bore witness to the brutality of chattel slavery. The result of the Federal Writers Project, a New Deal program that was tasked with collecting the oral histories of thousands of Americans from 1936 to 1938. Interviewers gathered the firsthand accounts of more than 2,300 formerly enslaved people in at least 17 states. As members of the last generation of people to experience slavery were reaching the end of their lives, there was an urgency to record their recollections. The first of its kind in scale and ambition, the Federal Writers Project's ex-slave narratives produced tens of thousands of pages of interviews and hundreds of photographs, the largest and perhaps most important archive of testimony from formerly enslaved people in history. Part of President Roosevelt's New Deal program and a National Black History Initiative at the time, the Federal Writers Project was established as one of four cultural projects by President Roosevelt's Works Progress Administration. Created to help improve the economy during the Great Depression, the Works Progress Administration, or WPA, was a program that provided work to unemployed writers, artists, musicians, and skilled laborers. Documenting the invaluable and historic details of the Federal Writers Project in his book and accompanying award-winning documentary film of the same name, Soul of a People, the WPA Writers Project uncovers Depression America. Today's guest is a passionate ally and advocate, specializing in documenting revealing connections between people and their worlds. His writings about people, food, health, and science have appeared in leading publications including the Smithsonian, the Washington Post, the Village Voice, and Oxford American. Here with us to discuss more about his book and award-winning film, Soul of a People, as well as the overall impact and legacy of the WPA and their efforts, we have writer and producer, Mr. David Taylor. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Mr. Taylor, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Thanks so much, Ramses. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, what we like to do on the show is... We like to introduce our guests to our listeners. So typically we'll ask about, you know, your origin story just a bit. So do us a favor. Tell us a bit about yourself, your background, sort of what inspired your passions um, to 
you know, create the soul of the people? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. I, uh, I grew up in uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. In, in Northern Virginia at, uh, at a time when the, uh, just the, kind of the white history of the place was everywhere. And there was you know, Lee Highway and uh, all sorts of the symbols of, of uh, the Civil War and the, and the lost cause behind it. Um, but it was around, uh, uh, it wasn't actually until about 25 years ago, um, after I'd uh, been in the Peace Corps and, and uh, worked in, uh, and lived in West Africa and really got embraced uh, as, a, as a guest to a, a family, a, a you know, Black Muslim family on the, uh, on the Senegal River and worked with them and just learned their experience. And, uh, and coming back, I just had different eyes on the place where I grew up. And, uh, and, but I did come back to the DC area and I, I volunteered as a, in history at the, um, the Black History Resource Center in Alexandria. Mm. And uh, just learned a lot about the uh, history I'd never been taught um, from the, the books in the library there, from the, uh, from the um, documents of oral histories that they had on their shelves. And so that just gave me a really new lens for seeing all of American history and to see the connections and then to find out more where I could. And that led me on the path to, uh, yeah, to looking into the, uh, the 1930s uh, histories gathered by um, the WPA and the, uh, the interviewers who went out for that to uh, kind of cut away all the, uh, a lot of the, um, you know, layers of uh, academic and white history that had built up on top of it. Sure. Sure. And I think that's, that's kind of important. Um, you know, uh, for our listeners, you know, they, they won't know that you're white. And I, I want to speak to that because recently in my life, I have met white people who have made it a point to share their privilege and their position certainly their position behind closed doors, doors that, you know, black folks never get into to help explain or otherwise breathe life into black history, black life, present day, um, black challenges and so forth. And that is a special kind of person to take, um, something that we look at as, as certainly a, a privilege and share it with folks who might not enjoy those same privileges. Um, and so, you know, when I was able to read a bit about, you know, your history and, and kind of how everything kind of came together, um, you know, I, I learned a little bit about you before I found out that you were a white man. And, and that is such a commendable and surprising thing. You know, on this show, we often refer to uh, people of other races as our brothers and sisters of, you know, whichever tribe. And I think that uh, it's important that I say to you, sir, that you certainly embody um, that um, sentiment that, that we often uh, espouse on this program. Um, so moving on, I, I, you produced the film Soul of a People and you authored the accompanying book about the WPA, um, the WPA Writers Project. So if you will share with us a bit more about the WPA so folks are familiar and let's let folks know what the film and book are about. Sure. Yeah. Well, first, uh, thanks, Rob, for your for your your comments. And it was it's really because I have been 
learned so much uh, about both my privilege and uh, the connections of of black and white history and what that tells me about uh, you know my history that that uh, allows me uh, to to share these stories and actually you know it's a privilege to be able to research them and then and then you know get them more widely covered so and looking at the yeah the WPA in the 1930s um, President Roosevelt was trying to find ways to to put people back to work and it was the Great Depression everybody was uh, out of work and um, so they decided well what kind of projects would would make sense uh, to you know you have building roads and bridges but you also had a lot of um, you know, reporters and even clerks and people who were secretaries out of work. Um, so one way to put them back to work was what this was called the Federal Writers Project. And mm. the goal of that was to get people researching their home states, their hometowns, and uh, people who had at least, uh, you know, they were out of jobs, but they could qualify for this make work project and get have a paycheck and at least have um, their morale for a while until the economy picked back up. And so thousands and thousands of people at a time uh, in the States were hired um, just to do that. And uh, a very small part of that uh, effort uh, of, of you know, making uh, these, these guidebooks to the States was to interview uh, people about everyday people, Americans about their lives too. And that was informing the history that would go into these guidebooks um, to the States but it was also a way to uh, just get at really what a cross section, you know, what a what a wide range of American experience was, and so one, uh, so that's where we got into the film Soul of a People, just kind of showing how much uh, you could learn about um, how much the experience of these writers uh, could could uh, uh, could be gained by connecting with people who are also in this crisis of a national period of right. Great Depression, when, when people were isolated. I mean, the Black community was isolated. They were hit worst by the, uh, by the Depression. Um, but all, all communities of all backgrounds really were, were uh, just grappling among themselves. And, and so this project was actually uh, turned out to be a way to um, get stories together and uh, connect people in a way that was unexpected. So you had in other states, you had people who later became giants in uh, in um, black storytelling. You had Zora Neale Hurston uh, working on uh, history in, in Florida. You had Richard Wright in Illinois. Uh, he uh, got uh, hired on the Federal Writers Project and was first researching uh, Chicago history um, and then moved to New York and, and got on the project there. And uh, and actually made a space, invited a young, young guy named uh, Ralph Ellison to join there. And, and, and Ellison became, started interviewing people there in, uh, in New York and learning about the, the, um, the Great Migration through his own experience, but also who he was interviewing for the Federal Writers Project. So that's just in a nutshell, kind of what we were wanted to show in that documentary mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and also in the, in the book, Soul of the People. So what was the process like of getting everything compiled or, or rather like researching, doing interviews, analyzing everything? What, what, what all went into the book and the film? Um, so part of the privilege of connecting with, you know, being able to navigate these collections of history. So uh, uh, the Library of Congress, for example, 
Um, this was before they had digitized a lot of these 1930s interviews, mm -hmm. really thousands of interviews with the formerly enslaved uh, people uh, across the South, uh, thousands more interviews of just uh, you know, people from all backgrounds, um, but they're in the Library of Congress. And so now you can uh, research, you know, you can Google uh, that collection, uh, um, Federal Writers Project, uh, you know, 1930s uh, interviews, and can come up with all these uh, interviews and see which ones. Um, our task then for the film was to to find them actually in hard copy in the libraries and in state collections and see which ones uh, would connect with a with a documentary film audience and where we could do uh, collections where we could find collections of of film of both private uh, films and, and newsreels that would kind of animate these uh, these experiences so uh, so viewers now could get a sense of what these 1930s writers were, were finding and presenting and, and kind of shattering the, um, the stereotypes of the time and finding authors uh, who could speak to that now. So like the novelist David Bradley, who wrote um, The Cheneysville Incident, it was a, a great novel uh, set in Pennsylvania. Uh, he could talk to, you know, just really kind of uh, be a real truth teller about what um, that, that experience of finding those books was for him. And uh, another uh, a writer from the Southwest, Dagoberto Gilb, who, who was inspired really first by Richard Wright and reading kind of the, the honesty about racism and about uh, American oppression that, um, that he found in those books uh, and say what that meant for him uh, as a reader and then what, how that inspired him as a writer. So really finding people who could uh, you know, interviews who could talk about that, as well as kind of the, the source material that really could speak to people now. Sure, sure. Were there any like challenges, uh, you know, putting a film in the, in the book together? Um, the biggest challenge was probably uh, we were right at, working right at the tail end of finding people who were alive, who had lived on the and worked on the project. Sure. So, of course, people like Zora Neale Hurston died, and even some of the people who had been youngest on the project were really old, but we did find uh, like Studs Terkel was a, um, uh, a white uh, radio interviewer in Chicago who made it a mission uh, when he had a radio program and, and kind of reinvented or you know, revived oral history based on his experience in Chicago on the Writers Project. So we got to, uh, you know, the challenge was finding anybody who could speak like him. Um, but he was one of our great uh, champions to talk uh, in an interview about um, you know, his experience working in the same office where Richard Wright worked, where, uh, you know, where Nelson Algren worked, where uh, people uh, of all, many races were, were gathering stories and what that meant for him uh, you know, to, to make things like working and, uh, and other, you know, his own books that he called oral histories. And we found a, a, a guy who was in his nineties who had worked with Zora Neale Hurston in Florida. He's a, he'd been like, uh, you know, maybe 20 year old, uh, white guy named Stetson Kennedy. And he had made a, a career after that. He was inspired by that experience to, to, um, keep oral history going and follow where it went. Uh, throughout his life. So um, it was a challenge to find them, but once we did, it was, uh, it really paid off. 
We are here today with writer and producer, Mr. David Taylor, discussing his book and award-winning film, Soul of the People, as well as the overall impact and legacy of the WPA and their efforts. So how about this? Um, what was, you know, you're, you're a very well-traveled, uh, very studied man. What was the most uh, fascinating thing that you encountered putting this together? Something that really stood out that maybe you didn't know about or you didn't know as much about? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think even after, um, I think, so I knew about some about the, uh, the interviews with the formerly enslaved people and I read uh, and we included some of those uh, excerpts of those in the, in the film. But it really wasn't until uh, several years after the, uh, the documentary came out that, um, that I learned more about the, what the interviewers were up against, that, that this uh, small group of uh, basically black history uh, unit in um, the, the one I learned most about was in Virginia. Um, they were basically investigators of Jim Crow behind you know, enemy lines. They were, they were challenging white stories. They were going out and finding survivors of slavery and talking with them about their earliest memories um, when even the families of those people didn't want to hear about, you know, back in slave days, they didn't, in the thirties uh, within the black community too, that nobody was looking back to slavery for anything. It was kind of the bad time that people were trying to move past. And so to think, to learn more about the experience of these black interviewers um, who in Virginia, sometimes they would you know, use what census and documentary uh, clues they could find to go and you know, on foot find where um, these survivors still lived. Um, there was a, a former teacher in uh, Petersburg uh, Virginia, who, who uh, her name was uh, Susie R.C. Bird, um, and she uh, you know, she was out of work. She got a job with the Writers Project, and uh, on this uh, this Negro Studies unit of the project, and in Petersburg, she found a few blocks from her, uh, basically a community of a couple dozen survivors of slavery, and she went at it. She interviewed uh, them. She got them together, um, uh, you know multiple times to uh, to record both their stories but also them them singing the songs that they had uh shared that that you know that, that provided their morale uh in the years uh early on and and um so finding people like her her story um you know that was that was an eye-opener for me to, to think of them in the 30s when they were uh, facing Jim Crow themselves mm -hmm. and the threats of lynching to really that they were digging in and, and finding um, black history. I mean, they were paving the way for uh, this was, you know, before the civil rights movement, they were paving the way for the, uh, you know, the 1619 project and, and documenting lives that otherwise we wouldn't have now. That's amazing. Um, you know, this, this kind of brings me to thought. So we've seen in the past couple of years, especially, this concerted effort to attack what is fundamentally American history. Um, the term used is critical race theory or CRT, but as we know, it's American history. 
Exactly. Um, and as someone who feels like uh, history is important, um, let's talk about the significance of documenting and teaching history uh, for folks who might not be as familiar with um, the recent push to really erase or, or whitewash, uh, let's be honest, about um, what, what has happened in this country. Yeah, I mean, that was, that's the thing that uh, as someone who does, you know, uh, learn and savor the, and relish the stories from, from history, that, that that is, you know, what our um, you know, predecessors experienced. Uh, and to be honest about that, that's what we owe ourselves so that we understand, you know, where we stand better. And it should be something that, you know, we can unite around that these, uh, that the more we learn about mm -hmm. how all of us experienced history uh, and the powers and the forces at play then um, can, uh, you know, make our present day better. Um, so the idea of sort of erasing what we don't like uh, in our history uh, is just uh, self-defeating. And, you know, right. and all the historians that I talk with and uh, who have seen, you know, this is not just, you know, opinion about what was experienced. You, you go look at the, uh, you, know, you talk with historians in the library of Virginia, um, you know, they are, uh, you know, white and black who look at the experiences of generation by generation. It just, the evidence uh, adds up and you have to recognize what the system how it's shaped and the forces that shaped it and that are still uh, creating an uneven uh, you know, ground for, for Americans uh, starting off now. So, yeah, the, the, just whitewashing history is a self-defeating problem. It doesn't, it doesn't help you or your children uh, make a, a better country or a better future. Right. Exactly. I, I, and and you you know you mentioned children as as you and I know um, critical race theory uh, the the actual term is really relegated to like higher level um, college level studies um, but what is called CRT um, in popular media is often what folks think of as being taught to kindergartners and first graders and second graders and one of the things that kind of confused me is that you know you know i'm someone that um you know i'm a product of the public school system in this in this country you know the, the california the los angeles public school school system and then um i moved to arizona and, and finished my schooling and i learned at a young age that i descended from slaves you know we kind of heard this but you know you don't really know what it is until you're old enough and you're in class and you kind of get the full story. So you know the impact of that, you know that and this is something that I say to to people very often, there is no dignity in learning that you come from slaves. But um in my opinion, we as a people have found our dignity in our story, right? But yeah. when you when it first hits, it doesn't 
necessarily inspire thoughts of like, <laughs> you know, a regal bloodline, you know? And so the, the, the thing that always troubled me is that if I can find, if I can accept that history as a child and ultimately find who I am relative to these people, I am their greatest dream. I am the manifestation of, of everything that they prayed for in those fields. If I can find a connection to those people that sang those songs, who were born, lived very short, very hard lives, and died very young, um, then I don't believe that my capacities as a, as a young Black child are greater or lesser than those capacities of a young white child. And so the sensibilities of a young white child shouldn't come into question if I can learn about my history, which lacks dignity, then they can learn about their history, which is not necessarily the uh, most, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, human, uh, the kindest <laughs> in terms yes. of their approach. Uh, <laughs> put it, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, in that sense, I mean, you l learned earlier the, that power of of seeing the whole history uh, and gaining and framing it for yourself in a way to to take it forward, mm. and that's what yeah the the opponents of uh, a fuller sense of our history the, the opponents of what they call uh, critical race theory need and their children need to to grapple with and to understand. Sure, sure. Now. Um I would imagine that for families where, you know, maybe their students aren't being taught the full uh, story of African-Americans in this country or really the full story of American history in their schools, they might turn to uh, your book, your film, you know, and share it with their families and their friends and, and people that might not otherwise get this information. Um, so I guess before we go, I want to ask perhaps the most important question. What do you hope that people will take away from Soul of the People? I hope that people, yeah, take away from from that and and uh, and a podcast that we're doing now called the, the People's Recorder that kind of picks up on that and takes it further. the 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 idea that we still that history is is not settled and done the way we think it is. It's worth questioning all the time and to taking uh, what you're know, going back to sources um, that, that we can find through guides, librarians and others are, are happy to share the, the, the actual histories and people's story. History is people's stories. And we learn how to, to live our story better by um, finding that, uh, and that's what I feel like the, uh, the the writers who were on this 1930s project they didn't expect it to be eye opening for them. Uh, they thought it was just going to be a paycheck, but it um, it turned out to be a, really a lifeline to to find their own stories. And so you, you have uh, people like Richard Wright and Ralph Ellison and Margaret Walker and Gwendolyn Brooks finding their voices from studying uh, their history and uh, and in the most unlikely places. Uh, you know, finding strength for their own lives. Sure. All right. Well, before we, we get you um, 
on your way uh let's let's let the people tap in with you so um any future projects you're working on that you want to plug any social media websites of course where can people um get sold with people um you know let's make sure we plug all that yeah, great. Well, Soul of a People, the, uh, the documentary is available from uh, Spark Media, uh, the uh, production company I worked with, uh, Andrea Kalin, the director there. So sparkmedia.org. Um, and the, uh, that's also where you'll find the home for the People's Recorder, a, a new podcast that we're getting underway. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, Soul of a People, you can find uh, online also just uh, Google Soul of a People book. Um, and uh, uh, that's those are uh, I think some of the the, the real resources. I, I'm uh, can find me on uh, you know Twitter da Taylor one, um, and I'm happy to sort of respond to any questions and things that come up uh, uh, that people want to find out more about. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time and of course for coming on to discuss uh, this this book and this documentary. Once again, our guest is award-winning writer and producer Mr. David Taylor. Thanks so much, Ramses, for the chit chats. And before we go, I'll leave you with this. Quote, there are years that ask questions and years that answer. If you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. Unquote. These profound statements from Zora Neale Hurston's 1937 classic, Their Eyes Were Watching God, are words that still flow through social media timelines regularly and resonate just as powerfully today as they did when they were written. While many readers know of the novel and its historic significance, it is lesser known that its origins were founded in Hurston's earlier research into African-American culture and her work with the WPA's Federal Writers Project. With her first-hand interviews with African-Americans, many of them former slaves or the children of slaves, inspiring much of her most famous pieces. The exceptional body of works created by Hurston and other members of the WPA's Writers Project are an incredible and invaluable gift to all of us and will continue to be for generations to come. Let us leave today's discussion informed, inspired, and empowered, committed to documenting even more of our own stories, traditions, and histories, as the information we capture and collect in these current years will be the answer keys to the questions being asked in years to come. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the Red Microphone Talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash Parity Flex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.